you almost have to speak it out loud to the universe and say, okay, this is what I want. I'm, I'm ready for it. I'm open for it and see what the universe kind of puts in your path. If you're standing on a threshold, if you feel a yearning to tap into your greatest potential, but you're caught in that fuzzy in-between space of the now and not yet, don't despair. You're being invited to pivot with greater purpose. You're on the thrilling edge of becoming. You are being called to unleash your soul song. I'm Becky Fleischer, and I believe we're all born with a gift that's uniquely ours, our very own soul song. And I discovered on my own journey that when we unleash it into the world, man, does it make life sing. You might express it through writing, science, cooking, nursing, teaching, or some other endeavor. The song is different for each of us, and its expression can change throughout your life. But it can only sing when you're in tune with your truest self. I know you're trying to get things in focus, that you're looking for encouragement and practical tools to illuminate your own personal journey. And that's what you're going to get here. I'm excited to travel this road with you. Let's get going. Welcome back to another episode of Unleash Your Soul Song. I'm your host, Becky Fleischer, and I've got a little extra pep in my step today because we had one of the most gorgeous days here in New York. It was almost 60 degrees outside with this beautiful blue sky and a sun that was just popping. I just came in from a nice long walk with my sweet dog, and while I was outside walking, I spent a little time reflecting on why exactly this day was bringing such a different kind of energy to me. Because honestly, I don't mind the winter. I really don't. I go outside a lot in the winter. I take my dog on tons of walks, and even though it's cold, and even though we've gotten a lot of snow this year, I still go. I enjoy it, and in fact, All the snow actually makes me enjoy it even more outside because it's so beautiful and walking through snow is just such a different experience than walking on dirt. I just kind of like the variety. And honestly, there have been so many gorgeous sunny days this winter that I can't even count them all. So I was really curious why exactly the weather was having such an effect on me today. I haven't been lamenting the weather. I've been enjoying it, and I haven't been missing the sun like sometimes happens in the winter. You know, you can miss the sun and you just feel bland. Everything seems to be gray and dark. But this year, I don't know, we've had so much snow and so much sun that I've had to put my sunglasses on so that I don't get blinded by the reflection of all of it while we're out walking. So I really was a little, I don't know, curious today about why the weather was lifting my mood. And here's where I finally landed. I love the change of seasons, especially the renewal and hope that comes with spring. It feels like an easy, deep breath, perhaps one with a little natural fragrance in it. And when I was outside, there's a particular tree on our street. I have to figure out what it is. It blooms yellow flowers. So if anyone knows what that tree is, please, please direct message me and tell me. It blooms early, so here it is, it's early, well, I guess we're mid-March now in New York. It blooms these yellow flowers, and it smells amazing. It smells so good. I just love that tree so much. So maybe that's another reason why I got a little pep in my step, because when you take those deep breaths that are a little easier to take when the air's a little warmer, 
I've got one of those deep breaths with a little natural fragrance on it, which was awesome. I guess the other thing that's great about spring is that we shed the layers. You know, we could take off the heavy coat and maybe put on that lighter spring jacket. We can open the windows, let in more light, let in more air. It just ushers in this feeling of starting over, starting fresh. And today, as I record this intro, we are at the exact one-year mark of the World Health Organization's declaring a pandemic. So we've been a whole year into this thing now, and it was only just a few days later here in New York that we went on lockdown. So I think that as we're coming through a full year of this experience together, we're all really ready for a reboot. We're ready for this spring to come up. We're ready for renewal. We're ready for growth. We're ready for that fresh air, please, please. And it feels like it's coming. It really does. Even Dr. Fauci is optimistic for a change. So I am staying very positive and optimistic about what's to come for the rest of this year. And all those thoughts that kind of came sweeping over me as I went on my walk and came inside here, they dovetail so perfectly with the conversation that I'm bringing you today with my guest, Julia Encero. Julia is the mother of multiples, an expat, a photographer, ethical vegetarian, spider saver, and successful children's book author. Almost six months to the day of her wedding, she got on a plane with her husband and two cats and headed to a new life in Egypt. She'd given up her career, her home, her friends, her family, and all semblance of life as she knew it to follow her husband to what felt like the ends of the earth. Since then, they've lived in Kuwait, Jordan, and Bahrain, gained several cats, visited at least nine other countries, and most importantly, welcomed three children. When all of her kids were still under the age of three, and they were still living abroad, Julia heard the whisper, calling to her to start something new, to start a new adventure, that of a children's book author. And you guys, I couldn't love her story more. Here she is living in Bahrain. She has three kids under the age of three, and she turns to her husband and says, hey, I think I need to write children's books. Was she a published author at this point in her life? No. Had she worked in the publishing industry before and had connections there? No. Did she have any background whatsoever in pursuing writing as a career path? No. Did she go for it anyway? Yes. Yes, she did. And was she successful? Yes. Yes, she was. Her story about how she just started right where she was is so inspiring. And to see how far she's come in just five short years, which included moving back to the United States, a global pandemic, homeschooling, etc., 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 it's just breathtaking. And the best reminder that every single day, we get the chance to choose to start again and again and again from right where we are. I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. So let's jump right in. 
Julie and Sarah, welcome to Unleash Your Soul Song. I'm so glad that we were finally able to do this because life really conspired against us at the end of 2020. It did. It did. It did. Yes, exactly. No, I'm thrilled that we could make it happen. Yeah, me too. And I appreciate you being here today, especially because I know that you are holed up. We were just talking about how you're holed up in a little room in your house because you have little feet running around. I do. I have six little feet, unless oh you count God. the cats and then there's a lot more, but I have six little human feet feet and uh they can find you I was just talking with a friend the other day and she said she goes I actually hid in my closet the other day just to get like five minutes of space and she goes and they found me and so it is amazing that you know they they have that capability to find you anywhere so I'm just waiting for the knock on the door or something well we'll take it we'll allow them in they can have a cameo appearance (laughs) there you go (laughs) so tell us how old are your kids uh they are eight six and six Wow. So you have three children under the age of eight. That's got to be a lot of yes. fun right now in the age of, of COVID schooling and all of that. Well, I mean, I think like everything else with parenting, it has its pluses and negatives. And one of the pluses is that they have each other. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I'm, I, I'm an only child. And I was saying to my mother the other day that I'm really grateful I have multiples uh, because they do have each other. And I know that my friends who have only kids, especially little ones, are, you know, really struggling right now kind of with, you know, the social lack of social interactions. And so I'm I'm grateful for that. But at the same time, you know, they they love and hate each other within the same minute. So, you know, always a fun balancing act with siblings. It is. <laughs> Well, you are also an, a children's book author, which is what we're talking about today. And I'm so excited to hear about your journey. So I am curious, though, that while you are in here in age of COVID, are you able to write? How is that process looking for you right now? Well, actually, as of this week, I finally got back to writing. So in addition to being the age of COVID, we have also done an international move and bought a house and are resettling back in uh, to America. And so all of that, I, I pretty much stopped writing for probably about six months and that's the longest I've gone without writing in a long time. But I just, I, I kept telling my husband, I, I don't have the bandwidth. I just, my brain just isn't going there. There's no creativity. It's all logistics. It's about packing suitcases or organizing this or arranging for travel or doing this, that, and the other. It was all just about kind of the move and the resettlement. And then I feel like I'm finally settling into kind of our new normal. And, you know, we're setting up the house and everybody's got dressers and beds and, you know, the basics. It's not, there's nothing on the walls yet. You know, there's, I still have a ton of boxes around, but um, it's like, it's functional the way it is. And uh, so for the first time, I think my brain kind of relaxed a little bit. And I went back to a draft that I started a little over six months ago and kind of have been puttering with that. And I would like to get it out to my editor soon. So that was very exciting because it's been a long time since I had that creative part of my brain has been kind of dormant for a while. Yeah. And I love the fact that you just were honest with yourself and you said, this is how much capacity I have and I can only do so much right now and have the faith that you would come back to it and that you did. I think that's a great lesson for people that you don't always have to go 100% all the time, that there's a time and space where you can organize and manage things. And 
it doesn't mean that your passion is going to go away. Right. Just means you're going to wait a minute until you can get back into that creative space. So great lesson. And I know that for me, you know, and everybody kind of works differently, but for me and for my craft, I have to be in the right frame of mind and I have to be in the right kind of headspace. Otherwise it becomes difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and whatever you kind of, if it's difficult to write, then for a reader, it's going to be difficult to read. So I feel like when it flows well as a writer, then I think as a reader, they're going to appreciate it more. So, you know, I don't force it. And luckily I'm not under any uh, deadlines um, other than my arbitrary personal ones. So I don't have that kind of pressure to perform. Yeah. So let's give our our listeners a little bit of context here about one of the things I love in your story is, and you even say on your website of how six months to the day of getting married, that you were following your husband to Egypt. You mentioned you just came back to the United States. And I know you've been to many places since you left for Egypt. And you said on your website that it was one of the first of many leaps of faith I would be taking. And frankly, I'm surprised I haven't strained anything. Yes. (laughs) I love that. So why don't you take us through a little bit of, you know, I guess I'm curious, were you always a writer? I I think this is something you came to later in your life. Is that right? It is. I mean, it's something that that I've been successful with later in my life, but I think I've always been a writer. And I read, I remember a quote from someone, it was probably someone famous who I've since forgotten, but they said they were asked by a student once, you know, how will I know I'm a writer? And the person answered, you know, if you wake up in the morning and you write, then you're a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to be a writer or an author doesn't necessarily mean you've published anything. You know, you can still be a writer. You can write journal entries. You can write, you know, whatever kind of creative outlet you have just because, you haven't published it or, you know, won a Pulitzer Prize or gotten on the New York Times book list doesn't mean you're not a writer. Mm-hmm. So I think I've always been a writer. I wrote short stories as, as a child. And at one point I was considering a journalism degree and, you know, and it, with every job I've ever had, I've had to write reports. And so there's always been writing in my life, which I've enjoyed, but I finally pursued the passion that I've wanted to do for a long time and write children's books. So tell us about how that came to be, because like like you said, your career wasn't necessarily as an author and you, you were certainly a writer, which I appreciate that sentiment so much. And it's something that we talk about a lot on this show, which is sometimes your calling or the thing you can feel most compelled or pulled to do, it might not be the thing that makes you money. And that's okay. Right. It doesn't mean it's not adding value either to your life or to the lives of people that you are sharing your gifts with in some way. So I like the way that you said you didn't, you weren't quote successful, meaning commercially successful, right? you know, until later in your life, but that you were always a writer. And I think just giving ourselves permission to say, yeah, I'm a writer. I don't have to be published to say that I'm a writer or you know, I'm a singer, I can sing in the shower, I can sing for my own enjoyment, you know, or whatever it is, you can, you can define yourself however you want to, if that's what you feel is, is really your passion. So exactly. But I am curious, I know that you did have a moment where you, you weren't, you know, quote, an author yet, you didn't have anything published yet, but you knew it was something you wanted to do. And it started pressing on you. And I wonder if you could just take our listeners through 
you know, where were you in your phase of life and what were you doing at that time? And how did you kind of take that leap into becoming an author, a published author? Right. Um, we had just moved to Bahrain, which is a teeny tiny country off the coast of Saudi Arabia. It's a little island, a really wonderful little island. We lived there for four years and we moved from there to here. But when I arrived, I had a four-year-old and two two-year-olds and, you know, a big empty house. We were waiting for our furniture and all of our shipment to arrive. And uh, it was a little bit crazy and it was very loud. So uh, probably within the first six months of us living there, we were settling in and I was talking to my mom on the phone one night and she said to me, she said, I, I'm really, I was really missing you, all of you guys the other day. She says, but I looked up at the moon and she was in Ohio at the time. And she said, I looked up at the moon and I realized that Julia gets to see the same moon. Mm. And I suddenly thought, and she, and she said, it, man, it made me feel so much better and kind of closer to you. Mm. And it obviously planted a seed. I don't think I knew it at the time, but uh, within a few months, uh, by January, uh, I think we arrived in the summer. So like six months later, I told my husband that I wanted to go away and I'd never gone away. I'd never left the kids. And I said, I want to go away and write. And I said, I just need like one night in a hotel. And he was very generous and said, okay, go. And so I went and by that point I had already written a draft but I wanted to go somewhere where it was quiet mm -hmm. and I didn't have the sounds of children. And um, <laughs> I, I sat in a hotel for like 24 hours and I wrote and I, I literally brought the rough draft that I had typed up and I brought scissors and I brought tape and I didn't know how to lay out a book. I, I had no idea how to do this. So I brought a bunch of children's books because obviously having three under three, you, you have a lot of children's books in your life. And I brought a bunch of children's books to start looking at how are they la laid out? How many pages do they have? Is there anything consistent? You know, are they always the same number of pages and the same size? And, and I just started literally cutting and pasting my book out just to see how it was gonna lay out was it the right length was it not i just literally started having no knowledge of how these are come these come together wow and i doodled little literal stick figures um i have no artistic talent i would love to be able to illustrate but it's not my thing and i might have gotten it professionally edited I should have, let's put it this way. I don't know, I can't remember if I did or not, but I decided I was going to send off my draft to one publishing house who I really liked. I liked their stuff. I thought it would be a good fit. And I was very lucky in that they responded within less than two months with my rejection letter. And I say I'm lucky because you can wait a year for a rejection letter from some publishing houses or from some agents. So by getting that rejection letter, I decided okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this out myself. I am going to self-publish. And I was very lucky again along the way that I just kind of came upon some people who, in hindsight, really helped guide me through the process. And it was one of those things that, you know, you just feel like it was kismet. I was 
I just happened to find the Facebook group and happened to get in touch with this woman. And she was just a phenomenal kind of self-publishing encyclopedia. She just helped me with so many different things. She didn't do children's books, but there's a lot of parallels, obviously, with any type of publication. And I just kind of started to soak it all up and to just learn that there is a standard for children's books and it's 32 pages. It's like, okay, I didn't know that. And you have a title page included in that and you have your copyright page and all of these kind of basic points that are in the children's book world that, you know, when you're starting out and you're, when you're reading children's books, you don't realize it because you're not counting the pages and you're not Mm -hmm. looking for kind of the formatting issues. So that's, that was my first book. That was Nani's Moon, inspired by my mother. And it was a really, a, a, truly a springboard for me leaping off to keep doing it. I was, again, I mean, I just, it, luck was so much involved in the entire process in that I found a phenomenal illustrator, not off the bat. I think I went through four Mm. until I got to her and I tried kind of the friend or the friend of a friend who's a good artist and then somebody's kid you know who's a good artist and finally because none of these were working out and I finally through a Facebook group of children's book authors and illustrators I I found an illustrator whose style I really liked and I looked at her website and I reached out to her and I reached out to a bunch and she and I just clicked and it was just perfect. She knew what I wanted. She knew my vision and she took it beyond where I thought was possible. And that's why I've been really lucky with all of my illustrators since then that they can, I share my vision with them. I give them my little illustrating notes and then I let them kind of run free with it and see what they can come up with. And it's been just a great collaboration with all of them so far. Wow. I, there's so much about that story that I love. I think that the starting point that I really want to make sure that everybody hears is that you had, you had just moved to another country. You are an expat. You'd traveled around quite a bit and that you had a four-year-old and two two-year-olds. And you said, okay, now I'm feeling it. It's now's the time to start writing. You're you're not making excuses of saying, you know, ah, now's not the time. I've got these little kids. I couldn't possibly ask for a night away. You put it right out there into the universe and said, you know, verbalized it. And of course you had the support of your husband, which I hear consistently from guest after guest after guest who have taken any kind of leap about how important it is to have someone, whether it's a partner, a spouse, a friend, you know, whoever, to be there to really support them and to say, yeah, go do that thing. Go try it out. Why not? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I love the fact that you you just said, listen, I need to do this for a night. And you carve that space out for yourself. And I think it's it's important for people to hear that, that sometimes you do need that quiet reflection, that moment of coming together. I think especially as a mom, uh, we feel so guilty for that on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. You know, we joke about being interrupted when we're trying to use the bathroom, but it's true. (laughs) You know, it's, if it's not a kid, it's a cat in my house and I still feel guilty for it, you know, even years later, but I still do it. 
I do it even though I feel guilty. (laughs) There you go. And there's the key, right? Do it anyway. Just you're going to feel guilty about something as a mom. So you might as well (laughs) feel guilty about something that's going to bring you joy. (laughs) Might as well be productive with it. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So for sure. So I, and, and so other things that I loved in there was you saying that you were grateful to get your rejection letter so quickly and that you, you just used it right as redirection. You didn't use it as a road stop. A lot of people would, because right. like you said, you, you went to this hotel, you brought your scissors and your crafting things and kind of created, <laughs> you didn't even know what you didn't know. Right? right. And you just did it and you submitted it and you're like, okay, well, they didn't like it. So let me figure out a different way to, to go around this mountain and to get up this mountain I think that's great. And then, you know, of course I love, I absolutely love the fact that as soon as you start doing the thing, even if it's just sitting in the hotel room with your own crafting tools, once you start doing the thing, you start meeting the people. It's like the universe just starts to put them all in your path. And like you said, it's like kismet. It just starts to happen. And it is. it really does. I find that with, with so many people I talk to that once you set the intention. And once you say, this is really what I want to do, and I'm going to, I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to go for it. It, the doors start to open, the road starts to clear up. Well, and there's, and if you start, you know, I'm sure all of us can think back to moments in our life. And I, I mean, I'll tell people if they're doing whatever it is they want to do, if they want to have a child or adopt a child, or they want to move, or they want to uh, get a new job that it's like you, you almost have to speak it out loud to the universe mm-hmm. and say, okay, this is what I want. I'm, I'm ready for it. I'm open for it mm-hmm. and see what the universe kind of puts in your path. I had a dear friend who uh, we were shopping one day and it was ages ago when we were still single. And I found these beautiful little bowls somewhere and I grabbed one and she was like, why are you buying one bowl? And I said, well, because I live alone, you know, I'm just getting one bowl. And she's like, yeah, but you don't want to be alone forever. And I said, no. And she says, then buy two bowls. And I was like, okay, I'm going to get two bowls. And it was just kind of, and I've never, and that was probably God, 20, 30 years ago. It's the kind of the two bowl theory that if you if you want something, you have to let the universe know that you're ready for it. Buy the two bowls, buy the baby outfit, buy whatever it is, you know, kind of just to let the universe know, I'm, I think I'm ready, you know, yeah. it, I, and I, it was not like I met my husband the next day, but, you know, I kind of had put it out there to the universe that I was, I was ready to share the bowls. Yeah. Oh, I love that. The two bowl theory. I love that. That's great. And it's true. And you have on your website that when you first were creating your website, do you want to tell that story too? Oh, yes. So the woman who helped me create the website is this wonderful guru who got me through everything. And we were setting up the website and I was like, well, one of the tabs, you know, could be for my blog and one of the tabs could be for this and that. And I said, one of the tabs should be for, for Nani's moon. And, and she said, well, let's just, let's, you know, make it a books tab. And I said, okay, well, I said, well, let's make it book. And she's like, no, 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 you have to make it books. And I was like, well, I only have Nani's moon. And she's like, yeah, but you're going to have more. And I said, okay, let's make it books. And so I just, even though at that point I had, I hadn't published yet and I had no idea if I'd be successful. I had no idea if I'd have more. I had no idea if I ever wanted to write or publish more, 
but I just kind of was like, okay, let's make it books, you know, and just leave it out there. I love that. And now there are books. Now, how many books, how many books are out there now? I have uh, published eight so far and I have two that are in illustrations. One's very close to being done. One's about half done. And then I have about a million drafts going. That's incredible. That's so great. So see, it, it, you really did. You spoke it in and there it is. The books are coming. I'm curious as a, as a creative person, do you, for, for the creative writing process and, and these books and developing the books, do you find that you, I mean, I know you mentioned at the beginning how when you were feeling overwhelmed with the move back, you know, back to the States and getting your home resettled and you needed that time to just focus on that. But when you're in regular mode, you know, just regular daily mode, do you carve out time to write? Do, do the books just come to you? Do the ideas come to you? What does your process look like? Well, if I can think back to pre-moving pre-COVID times. Um, Seems like an eternity ago. <laughs> it does. It's like a, you know, like a, a different lifetime. Um, what I would often do was my, my two littles were in nursery school. So I would send off my older one to kindergarten or first grade. And then I would drive my two littles to nursery school. And I would often then sit in the parking lot of the preschool in my 12 year old minivan. And that was where I would work. Hmm. And it wasn't that I wanted to be close to them necessarily. It was just that it was quiet. There were no other cars there because all the parents had dropped everybody off and left. Or I would sometimes go, the, because we were in Bahrain, we were pretty close to a beach. There was a little beach that was kind of close to the nursery school. And I went and spent quite a bit of time in that parking lot, just sitting in my car, and working on either on my phone. I, I mean, I tend to write most of my books on my phone, mm. either typing them out or doing like a speech to text or making notes or doing any type of editing and I'll, I'll work from there just to get some quiet. And, you know, I usually can't really work well when the kids are home. Obviously now I have to figure out a new talent since they're always home yeah. but um I will I will figure that out and uh or I just go hide in my car still even now and uh try to get some peace and quiet and something done there it's so difficult to balance all of that I with any kind of work obviously and you have yeah. to carve out the time and space to do and with kids home and especially now it's so challenging switching tax just a little bit I'm curious another thing that, that can keep people from really putting themselves out there. You know, we talked about how important it is to really put it out into the universe, make your intentions known, make your dreams known, make those whispers, give them voice, right? And then see what starts to happen. One of the things I think that trips people up a lot, and I'm curious if you've had any inner, you know, experience with this, is that people get so hooked on praise and criticism. right. It's, it's kind of like a double-edged sword. You know, we love the praise because that makes us feel good. But at the same time, you know, the other side of that is criticism. And I think what keeps people from just putting themselves out there is the fear of being criticized. And right. especially for creative work, because that's really very personal often. And you can feel very vulnerable about that. Have you experienced that? And how have you, if you have, how have you kind of moved around that or navigated your way through? 
Um, definitely experienced. I think, I think everybody experiences it from, you know, kindergarten on when maybe somebody doesn't like your drawing and it's something I don't think you ever get over and that's okay. Cause I think we should always feel a little hurt when we're criticized. I have a handful of beta readers who I give a very first rough draft to ask them, am I on the right track here? Like, is there a, a nugget of a story somewhere? And I use them because they always say nice things, um, you know, and they sometimes will give me little critiques here and there, but they're very gentle. So I use them first to kind of keep my ego happy. Mm -hmm. And then once I've kind of on to draft five and six and whatnot, then I send it off to my editor and I have a few editors that I use and I have found over the years that I, I like the editors who are a little more critical because first my ego is very hurt at first when they don't write back and say, I love it. Don't change a thing. Nobody has ever said that to me, but once my ego kind of, it takes a day or two, once my ego gets over it, I will read their notes and the best editors make me a better writer you know, and they're very good about their, like, this doesn't work or this works. And they don't just say outright, you know, basically they give constructive criticism. They make suggestions. I think you need this here. I think you need to make this character stronger. I think you need to tell us why this character does this here. And they make me really think about my own work and really question my characters, my storyline, my message, whatever it is. To a, they make me understand what I'm writing more. I tend to write off the cuff a lot. I just, when it flows, it flows and I just write and I just try to get it on paper as fast as possible. But sometimes, oftentimes, usually, it's not necessarily perfect or it's not necessarily well done, that first draft or first seven drafts or whatever. So... The criticism part of the editing process is always a bit of a little ego blow, but I truly look at it like they are helping me to make this better. Mm -hmm. We had a, uh, a bit of a, an issue on one of my books. I have a book titled My Camel Wants to Be a Unicorn. And I had one wonderful illustrator who I've used for two other books, Tanya. And she drafted up three covers for me and I told her I said okay I'm gonna do this as a little kind of lure social media lure and get people to vote for which cover and it'll help get the message out and so I put it out on a few Facebook groups and various things and I started getting a lot of comments and a lot of comments were that there was an aspect of the drawing that was um looked slightly phallic and I was mortified. I was just, I hadn't seen it that way. And part of the thing is, you know, you do get tunnel vision with your own work. This is why you need other eyes on it. Yeah. And once they started commenting on it, then everybody was commenting on it. And I just thought, and so I had to go back to her and I had to say, listen, you know, I'm embarrassed about this, but we have to change this. And she was very upset about it too. She's like, that's not what I meant. And I said, I know it isn't. And I didn't see it. And we corrected it. And I just kept telling her, I said, listen, I am so glad that we discovered this now. 
and that this wasn't an Amazon review. Yes. Or this wasn't a parent commenting on Goodreads. Or, I mean, it's like, you know, so there's a point to getting edited and getting critiqued because it can make it better. You know, now you can also disagree with the edits or the critiques and the comments. I do not read all of the reviews that are out there on the internet. I just don't because you also, especially when you have a creative product, you're not going to please everybody. There's always going to be somebody who's going to find something that they disagree with or whatever. And I, you know, I'm not writing it. I'm not writing a book that's going to, with the intention of hopefully pleasing everybody, you know, cause there are even classics that don't, you know, people don't like Winnie the Pooh or people mm-hmm. don't like Dr. Seuss or, you know, whomever. And that's, that's what's great about art is that there is an audience for almost every artist out there. Your approach to criticism is so healthy and constructive. Y- you, you're putting yourself out there in measured ways and in measured steps so that you're not, just like you said, I'm not getting the crucial criticism or feedback, whatever you want to call it, when it matters the most. Like I'm not throwing stuff out there and hitting prime time right away right? so that amazon.com, you know, um, readers can tell me that they see something inappropriate on the cover of a children's right. book. You know, <laughs> you, you, do your, you do your due diligence. I love that. I love that you have beta readers, especially... And I think this is an important thing to really highlight for people that you said, and I, it's so honest and so appropriate when you said your beta readers, they're nice to you. You know, they, right. they, they like your stories and they might give you ideas, but they're not going to be critical. And I think that's so important for different phases of projects, especially right. creative works, especially when you're just starting to put yourself out there in something new. There's kind of this seedling phase where you're just starting to germinate. And if somebody comes along with heavy duty criticism at that juncture, it'll trample that poor little seedling. It won't ever get a chance to grow. So I love, I love it that you intentionally created a group of beta readers to support you and to give you a little boost and to maybe give you some ideas. And then it's like you scaffold it up, you know, and then you move along to the next and and I also love that you said, even though it's not always perfect, you're pushing it forward and that's, you're going to continue to improve it in the process, which is great. Yeah. I mean, and I think, I think it depends on your personality too. There are some people who don't fare criticism well at all. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the main problems I think I've seen with other self-published authors is that they're too afraid to get something edited before they publish it. Mm. And I think, I mean, I, there are times I've paid for three, le- you know, levels of edits on a manuscript before I let it go. You know, I'll have them do the first edit and then I'll, I've even sent before I hit publish, I'll send them the final book with the illustrations and say, can you edit it again? Mm. Um, Cause you know, mistakes happen or whatever. I mean, it could be everything from a, a, a typo to an actual storyline glitch. Um, but I know that there are people out there who are just so terrified of, you know, of being edited, Mm -hmm. but you know, then don't, then don't publish it. Then just print it out. If you're writing something for your nephew or for your child or your grandchild, then maybe don't share it with everybody, you know, and and that's okay too. There's plenty of stuff out there. That's very personal that, you know, people want to keep as a family story. You know, you can just have it printed up 
you know, locally instead um, of getting, you know, putting it out there for everybody to just because it's easy to do, just because it's easy to publish on Amazon doesn't mean necessarily that everybody should do it. And there's a lot of stuff to wade through out there. Yeah. But I know that just as a personality trait, whether you consider it a flaw or not, I don't know. But, you know, if somebody tells me I can't do something, it makes me want to do it all the more just to prove them wrong, you know? So that's how I ended up with a master's in forensic science because I, I, I had the director of the forensic science department at George Washington University tell me I could never get my degree because I don't have an undergrad in science. And I thought, well, that's not true. And let me show you how. So I think that when I got that rejection letter, which was actually a very nice rejection letter, it basically just, you know, said to me, okay, you know, I'm not going to do the traditional publishing route this time. Let's, let's see what else is out there because I believed enough in the actual product. And I, I did get lucky with my first book in that it was a success. It's continued to be a success, sold uh, well over 15,000 copies so far. I'm very, very pleased with it. And if I had had my first one kind of be a flop, I, you know, I might've had a different trajectory. I just don't know, but I was, I was lucky with that first one. That's amazing. That's so great. And one of the things you said about having, sometimes you have your books edited three times, you know, sometimes you, I'm curious, how do you know? Because again, there's so many things that trip people up all along the way. And this is another one, like the perfection game, right? Like, I'm just going to keep, I'm just going to keep, you know, editing that, or I'm just going to keep working on that before I put it out there. How do you know? What's your filter for going through and saying, okay, I either need another round of edits or I think I'm good. This is a good spot. Well, there does come a point where you have to pull the plug mm-hmm. and you just have to, and you're going to, you know, and I, I have published a book that had a typo in it, despite all of my efforts, despite all of those eyes on it, it had a typo where there was just a word missing from a sentence. And it was one of those sentences where your brain corrects it. Mm-hmm, so a lot of people, mm-hmm. including myself, didn't see it. And my illustrator is not a native English speaker and she saw it, but she assumed that she was just incorrect because she's not a native English speaker. And I told her after that, we've worked together on several other books since then. And I said, no, if any, if you have questions about anything, please ask. I said, it's not you. I was like, don't even question it. Just say, is this correct? You know? So I was lucky in that sense. Cause I did a uh, print on demand version for that book to start off with. And uh, I was able to correct it. So I pulled the files instantly as soon as I found it, corrected it, got the new files up. So, you know, there's only a few, probably a few hundred out there with the typo in it. Um, Collector's editions. (laughs) There you go. There you go. They don't even know it. There does come a point where you just have to say, go for it. Yeah. You know, and you did. And I love I love that you did go for it just in general. I think it's incredible that you did mention your degree is in forensic science. Right. <laughs> Completely irrelevant. <laughs> exactly. So there you go, everybody. Your degree does not always dictate what you're going to do in life. Yeah. And I love that you took the jump and it didn't matter what stage in your life you were situated in, you just felt it and you went for it. And now look, you've got these eight books out, more are coming. So tell everybody where they can find your books and where they can find out more about you and just get to know you a little bit more. 
Sure. Uh, so everything's at my website, which is www.juliaincero.com. My books are currently available on Amazon and hopefully elsewhere soon. And uh, yeah, anybody can reach me through the website. Yeah. And the website is so cute. I mean, first off, the illustrations are great. You you landed on a great illustrator. I did. I've gotten, yeah, I think I've worked with five so far and they've I've been super, super lucky. They're all extremely talented. Yeah. And there's, and you've got a cute, cute page here where you have a uh, behind the scenes where you can kind of see the illustrations in process and the yeah. story. that's, I like that a lot. I love seeing behind the scenes. I love things. all those, you know, like how to videos yeah, and stuff. Yeah. So it's like, even my illustrators, I'll have them like, I'm like, give me anything you have done. I was like, I want to see pencil sketches. I want to see everything. Cause it's a, it's a skill I don't have, as I said, and I love seeing their process. My process for writing is not that exciting. You know, you cross out a word, you add another word, mm-hmm. editing, editing a text is not that exciting, but watching how they make these things come to life is just, it's, I mean, it's, I would like to come back in my next life as an illustrator. That would be a lot of fun. I agree. I don't have a lot of talent there either. Music, yes, but drawing, not so much. (laughs) Not so much. But you've got other great things on your website for people who, like yourself, are home with their children and looking for things to do. You have some activity books and a calendar, so they can go check that out on your website and grab those for their kids. And those are all free, yeah, just free downloads that that they have. I try to, I've done activity books for almost every book. I think except for one, and I'm not quite sure why I didn't do it for that one, but, uh, and they can, it's just got some fun coloring pages and word searches or, uh, mazes, even some crafts and recipes and just kind of fun things to do that are related to, uh, the topics of the books. I encourage everybody to check it out. I'm going to put a link to your website in the show notes. So it'll be nice and easy for everybody to just scroll down on their device and click into your website and check it out. So I encourage everyone to do that. And I thank you so much for being here today and sharing your story. Thank you. Giving us an idea of what the contours of your road look like as you made this leap into being an author and really taking your your passion that you have always loved of being a writer and really turning it into a career. It's a great journey to go on with you here. I loved hearing about it. So thank you for being part of the show. Well, thank you very much. I would love to hear what you thought of today's show. Did you get something valuable from it? If so, don't keep it a secret. Tell your friends and family. I want everyone to unleash their soul song because the world needs all our beautiful music. I'd also really appreciate if you subscribe to the show on iTunes, rate and review. You may not realize it, but that's the best way to help other people find the show. I hope you'll come visit with me at theintuneexperience.com. While you're there, download your free copy of Intune Insights, designed to inspire you to unleash your soul song. I'd also love to hear from you on Instagram at unleash your soul song. Shoot me a message. Let me know. What'd you think about the show? Tell me what you want to hear about and what you're struggling with so that I can craft shows that provide you with insights, inspiration, and the tools you need to venture on your own personal journey. Listen, this world is busy. Our days are really full and life is super distracting. We're pulled in so many different directions every day. And so I thank you for joining me here today. Have a great week. Next door neighbor, stranger down the street. 
Unleash Your Soul Song is recorded and edited in 426 Studios, the music production company that I co-own. For more information about our music and our services, please visit www.four26studios.com. That's www.four26studios.com.